Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Timeless Science Fiction. I'm your host, Bella Anima. On today's show, we have part two of Rex 84. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly suggest you do so. We last left Reggie after his entire world came crashing down around him. His wife arrested, he himself being taken into custody, then tragically having to watch his wife's death and having no other option but to join the rebellion. In short, Reggie has been through the ringer, but of course, after going back for his cat Pixie, he was ready for whatever came next. Rex 84. Written by D.A. Augustine. Narrated by Todd Creel. Part 2. The man with the southern draw, who had been in charge of the FEMA camp that Reggie escaped from, found himself in a dingy prison cell. He's not sure where he is exactly, or how long he's been there. Only that it's some kind of military prison, and he had been there for an exceedingly long time. Although, today felt different. He looks at the clock outside his cell. It's 9.05 a.m., but the guards usually bring him breakfast at 8.35 a.m. Suddenly, two soldiers in strange black uniforms rush into his cell and grab him. You're coming with us, they yell as they rip him out of his cell. After being led through the prison blocks, then through the corridors of the prison admin offices, he's taken to a room guarded by two elite soldiers and sat in a chair. The room was small and dark, with a window on the room's far side. A man was standing in front of the window, smoking out of it. The smoking man was wearing a general's uniform. However, the room was too dark for the man in the chair to make out the smoking man's rank. He also had a large sidearm strapped to his hip. I was sorry to hear your base was attacked, Colonel, the smoking man says. What do you want with me? the sitting colonel asks. That's when the general walked into the light. The colonel with the southern draw is shocked by the man's identity. It is General Thomas West, interim leader of the free world. The man who had been more than happy to seize power when the national emergency had been called into effect. The general puts his cigarette out on the ground before continuing his dialogue. I read your file. You headed up black op missions in Vietnam, awarded a silver star. Of course, that was before you went into admin, where you again served admirably. Well, until you let a group of lightly armed terrorists attack your base and get away with it. The colonel speaks up. Sir, they surprised us. We thought we had all the rebels in custody. You had two Praetorian-class mechs, had enough firepower to destroy a dozen city blocks in seconds. Yet somehow these rebels got away from you? Of course, you could have let them go. You could be a rebel sympathizer. Or worse, a red traitor. The colonel becomes enraged, yelling, I'm not a damn commie. The general laughs. I believe you. Despite that, I don't think those who will judge you at your tribunal will feel the same. The general, seeing the colonel despondent, knows he has him right where he wants him. I think it would be a shame for a patriot such as yourself to rot away in a prison cell. I think a man with your qualifications should be out on the field, leading our elite anti-terrorist team. The colonel scoffs. 
I'm a little old to be effective in the field. Not anymore. We are in the midst of the biggest military technological advancement since the Manhattan Project. The general lights another cigarette before continuing. Walk with me. The colonel gets up from his chair and follows the general down the hall with the two guards following closely behind. Are you dedicated to upholding the integrity of this great nation? To restoring and protecting it? The general asks as they begin to walk up a set of stairs to the facility's roof. Of course, the colonel answers quickly. The general smiles and opens the door to the roof, where a black helicopter waits for him. Good, the general says as he walks toward the black chopper. The colonel tries to follow, but one of the guards grabs his shoulder as if to say, stay here. The general hops in the helicopter, and as it begins to ascend, he looks back at the colonel. Godspeed, he says as the chopper raises into the air. Then, the guard to the colonel's right sticks a syringe into the colonel's neck, causing him to pass out. Elsewhere, in an abandoned warehouse outside Chicago, Reggie waits for the other freedom fighters to arrive for a clandestine conference. It has been eight months since he lost Monet. He has tried distracting himself by giving his all to the fight against the new tyrannical rulers of America. Despite that, every morning he wakes up to the gut-wrenching pain of Monet's death. If he slows down and takes a moment for reflection, the pain becomes almost unbearable. Which is what's happening now. He's sitting on a box of supplies and reading Animal Farm. As he reads sentence after sentence, he lets his thoughts drift away from the story back to Monet. He snapped out of it by Scott tapping him on the shoulder. Come on, it's time. Then Scott and Reggie head into the warehouse's main area, where a few hundred other freedom-fighting men and women are sitting on metal chairs, facing an empty makeshift stage with a large screen behind it, displaying the group's signature Bleeding Fist logo. They find the last few remaining empty seats where they sit and wait. Finally, the leader of the new Continental Army appears, Grant Lattimore an older blonde-haired man, wearing a red beret and a long tan coat. He had been a former Ivy League football star before having a successful law career. Yet, he gave it all up for a syndicated radio show where he discussed conspiracy theories. It was he who had called for the revolution after the activation of the Rex program. Welcome, my fellow freedom-loving crusaders, the man shouts. The room erupts in cheers. We have liberated over 80 FEMA prison camps destroyed multiple military convoys, and grew our freedom-fighting force to a 100,000 nationwide. Again, the room goes wild. Our cause and our success have made the true patriots in our military take notice. Last week, I was contacted through sources by a general in the Air Force. He told me he was as sick of this tyranny as we are. He then pledged the squadrons in his command to us for air support. After a thunderous round of applause, he continues. We have also had more weapons and troops sent to us from freedom-loving entities from Japan, Europe, and Russia. Ladies and gentlemen, the time is now. It's time for us to cut the head off the snake and commence our attack on Washington, D.C. The room falls silent. Direct your attention to the screen as we go over Operation Liberty Bell. The colonel begins to wake. He feels the cold steel of the table he's strapped on. He feels his eyes are open, yet he can't see. Hello? The colonel yells out. He's awake. Go get the general. The colonel hears someone say. A few moments later, the colonel hears the general's words. Can you hear me, colonel? General West asks. 
I can't see, the panicking colonel tells him. Are his systems on? The general asks someone. They should be coming online now, sir. Finally, the colonel's vision comes back, and what he sees shocks him. The colonel looks down to find his once middle-aged body had been replaced with the physique of a bodybuilder. He was then horrified to discover his hands and forearms had been removed and replaced with black metal forearms and hands. What have you done to me? He asks. I've turned you into a weapon. A weapon for democracy. The general holds a small mirror up to the colonel's face. The colonel's eyes had been removed, replaced by a red bar of light. Oh my God, the colonel cries. What have I become? The general instantly rebukes him. You were a failed base commander, about to be executed by a military tribunal. Now, you're about to lead the most elite fighting force the world has ever seen. Patriot Squad. A group of cybernetically enhanced super soldiers. Your bones have been removed and replaced with a proprietary lightweight metal. Your muscles are infused with a silicon substance that gives you superhuman strength. The visor that replaced your eyes gives you ability to see in infrared as well as night vision. However, most importantly of all, you now have a supercomputer processor implanted in your head, working in tandem with your brain. This gives you the ability to outthink and outmaneuver your opponents, as well as control your cybernetic parts. The colonel is released from the table, and he falls on the cold floor of the lab. He quickly collects himself and stands on his feet. He moves his new cybernetic arm in amazement. He swings his arm around and smashes the metal table he was just strapped to. The table crumples around his arm like a soda can. The general claps. Nicely done. Then barks orders to the scientist. Get him dressed and bring him upstairs. Later on, the now-dressed colonel is led through the facility's halls into the general's office. The general is sitting at his desk with a wall of TV monitors to his back. The monitors are turned on all the new state propaganda channels. Have a seat, colonel. What if I told you that this time next month, the entire rebellion would be wiped out and the entire nation would be ready to knock down Moscow's door. I'd want to know how you were able to do that, the colonel asks. The general grins. Every battle is won before it is fought. That is as true today as it was in Sun Tzu's day. I've had moles in the rebellion for months now. I've waited for the right time to strike. That time is coming in two weeks. That's when the rebellion will launch their offensive attack they call Operation Liberty Bell. The actual attack is supposed to commence on the 28th, but it actually starts right now. As we speak, they are having all their troops meet in Clovis, Virginia. From all over the country, they are having them drive their personal cars, as to not draw suspicion by driving trucks and personnel carriers. After all of their troops arrive, that's when they will go forward with the next part of their plan. The night before the attack, they will have violent riots in all the major cities as well as armed assaults on Philadelphia and Boston to throw us off track. The next day, they plan on marching up I-95 to Washington with air support from what they think is a rogue Air Force squadron. After forcing their way into the Capitol, they will kill me, rescue the President, and use of our AI network to get their message out. That's what they think will happen. In reality, our mechs will wipe them out in front of state TV cameras. You will lead Patriot Squad into the battle to show off our capabilities in front of the media and strike fear into the hearts of the world. Do you understand me, soldier? 
Yes, sir. The colonel complies. It's the morning of the attack, and Reggie feels sick to his stomach. He's never been this nervous before any of the previous attacks. He's helping hand out brand new AK-47s out of a crate in an old barn. The barn is just one of the many rebel meetup spots in Clovis, Virginia. Today feels different, historic, and more dangerous than anything he had done so far. Though, what makes Reggie nervous is failure. That if they fail, there will be nothing left to stop the new tyrannical state. Hey, Reg, over here. He hears someone saying behind him. He turns around and sees a man with a video cam over his shoulder. Hey, man, I'm making a documentary on the movement. I heard your story and was wondering if you would say a few words. I don't know, Reggie said nervously. Come on, the people need to know the truth, the man pleads. Okay, yeah, Reggie says confidently. I was part of the system, I guess you could say. I was a federal tax lawyer. It wasn't what I had dreamed of coming out of college. It was a thankless job, long hours and subpar pay. However, I met my soulmate Monet, and we got married. We wanted to start a family together, so I dug in my heels and worked twice as hard, sometimes working seven days a week. And the very government I'd worked so hard for took Monet away from me forever. No trial, no appeal. She was accused and then shortly afterward executed right in front of me. America before wasn't perfect. There was corruption and greed in the government, but at least its people still had a voice. After all, America is about her people. The people are supposed to be more powerful than the handful of officials in office. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'll fight until my last breath for my America. The cameraman thanks Reggie and goes on his way. A convoy of jeeps pull into the barn. Scott hops out of one of them with a megaphone in hand. All right, everybody, it's go time, he yells. Reggie takes an assault rifle out of the crate and goes to get in one of the jeeps, but Scott calls out to him over the megaphone. Hey, Reggie, wait up a sec. Scott jogs over to Reggie and holds the megaphone away from his face before whispering, Wait here. After all the jeeps are loaded up, they drive out of the barn and onto the dirt road, leaving just Scott and Reggie. Once the jeeps are out of sight, Scott looks at Reggie and says, All right, come this way. The two walk out of the barn into a small pasture. Suddenly, a Chinook helicopter appears in sight and lands on the pasture. What's going on, Scott? Reggie asks. Scott tosses Reggie a black Walkman with a pair of headphones attached and the two board the helicopter. Inside the chopper, a dozen or so rebel commandos sit. In the middle of the cargo area sits a large wooden box. Scott takes Reggie's AK-47 and hands him an odd-looking rifle. That's a prototype out of Europe, Scott says. They call it the P-90. Scott points at the Walkman he had given Reggie. That will tell you all you need to know. Reggie takes his seat, puts the headphones on, and presses play on the device. Hello, Reggie. People call me Dolus. I'm the money behind the NCA. You don't know me, but, uh, I know you. Well, know of you. Your wife, Monet, spoke very highly of you. She always talked about recruiting you into the movement. Unfortunately, she was too busy fighting on the front to make that happen. Anyway, probably wondering what's going on. Why you aren't fighting with the others. I promise you. What you're about to do is far more important. 
You see, modern wars are rarely won on the physical battlefield anymore. They're won with intel, influence, and money. A shit ton of money. Now listen, I have the money and the influence. However, General West government is about to have the Death Star of intel gathering. Right now, as we speak, CIA-employed engineers are putting the finishing touches on their state-of-the-art mainframe computer that they plan on using to keep tabs on every single American. They'll send out mandatory auditors door-to-door across the country, asking questions ranging from favorite songs on the radio to views on foreign policy. And then all this data will be entered into the mainframe. Then... This mainframe will start making predictions. It'll tell them which citizens are most likely to be radicalized into freedom fighting, and this will inevitably lead them to be able to snuff us out. But that isn't all they'll use it for. It'll also tell them what pro-government ads to run on TV to boost support for the funny regime, where more FEMA thugs need to be stationed, to what resources they can nationalize without a fuss. They'll use it as a guiding tool to reopen and reshape America in their image. Now, this monstrosity is located in a top secret facility underneath the Lincoln Memorial, and they call this place Site V. It will be heavily guarded by FEMA troopers. The only way in is through the bay doors located underneath the reflecting pool. I was, at great cost, able to get the transmitter code for the doors. The Chinook you're in will be identified as friendly to all government forces, and the doors will be opened for you, after entering the code of course. You and the other commandos will enter the base and plant a EMP bomb inside. Once unleashed, the mainframe will be destroyed. Thus, ensuing none of us are exposed, and General West's administration can't use the program to mold America. Good luck, Reggie. You're going to need it. And, uh, be careful with that EMP. It was expensive. Throw us out. The device will self-detonate in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Back in Chicago. The warehouse that the rebels had met in two weeks prior is under siege. The colonel leads Patriot Squad into battle with his new cyborg body. He's both surprised and slightly horrified with the squad's ability to rip through the rebel fighters with ease. Only a few minutes after dropping in, the cybernetic hybrids had burst into the structure and killed all the rebels inside, before capturing the rebel figurehead, Grant Lattimore. They bind his hands and take him to the warehouse roof where a squadron of Apache helicopters swarm above in the rainy sky. A black chopper emerges from the skyline and lands on the roof. The vehicle's side door swings open, and General West jumps out. He applauds the squad for their brutal effectiveness before praising the colonel directly. I knew you were the right man for the job. The colonel nods in approval. General West walks over to Lattimore and rips his red beret off his head, tossing it off the roof. Any last words? The general tauntingly asks, as he unholsters his desert eagle and sticks the barrel on Lattimore's forehead. Yeah, Lattimore replies, 
Six Semper Tyrannus. The general smirks before holstering his gun. But before Lattimore could breathe a sigh of relief, the general twirls his fingers in the air and four of the cyborgs grab the rebel leader, each grabbing a different appendage. The man screams in pain as they pull him apart. Eventually, the man's entrails spill off the roof. The colonel tries to justify the insane brutality the general had just shown his unarmed prisoner. Unfortunately, he couldn't shake the deep unsettling feeling he had. The general lit another cigarette before addressing the cyborgs again. Nice work, gentlemen, but now we have bigger fish to fry. With this said, the Patriot squad follows him onto the dark helicopter. Shortly after takeoff, the general picks up a radio and makes a call. Shadow One, this is Peacock. Mother Goose has been taken out. Proceed with your objective. Scott, who is seated next to Reggie, taps his earpiece and quietly whispers, Yes, sir. Shadow One out. This is the emergency broadcast system. This is not a test. Repeat, this is not a test. Citizens are advised to take the following steps. Stay alert to news media events or local emergency alert notifications. We interrupt this broadcast to inform you of breaking news. Hello, I'm Jessica Johnson reporting for the Stars and Stripes News Network. The nation was rocked today by mass riots in most major American cities. General West ordered the military to crack down on the rebel rioters. Just before the riots, the NSA stopped two terror attacks planned by the terrorist group NCA or New Continental Army. The failed attacks were planned on Boston and Philadelphia. But now the network has learned of breaking news. The NCA has launched a full assault on the nation's capital. Sources tell us the NCA forces number between 15 to 50,000. The Pentagon has issued a statement for all non-hostile civilians to stay as far away as possible from the area. Operation Liberty Bell has turned into a disaster. The rebels had expected air support and were shocked when none came. Reggie was distraught as he looked out of the window to see his comrades being massacred below. We can't let their sacrifice be in vain, Reg, said Scott. We can't just let them die, Reggie answers angrily. He goes to hit the button that will open the Chinook's cargo hatch, but Scott stops him. Reggie, there is nothing we can do. Reggie slumps his shoulders, knowing Scott's right. He again looks out of a window, down at the carnage below him. Buildings demolished, cars on fire. Dead bodies strewn all over the streets. Thousands of freedom fighters firing on FEMA troops. The freedom fighters losing ground quickly, being flushed from their cover by heavily armed mechs. Equipped with Gatling guns, flamethrowers, and rockets, the mechs easily overpowered the rebels, whose biggest weapons were 50 cal machine guns mounted on the back of pickup trucks. Finally, Reggie had had enough and turned away from the bloodbath. He retakes his seat. For Monet... He keeps telling himself in his head. Elsewhere, the colonel and the rest of Patriot watch the battle from their barracks. This is madness, the colonel thinks to himself. Suddenly, the video on the screen cuts out, and General West comes on the screen. Patriot squad, you're needed in D.C. Your chopper heads out in five. The colonel responds, finally. Don't worry, we'll do something about these traitors. The general laughs. Oh, that won't be necessary. Sir, the colonel replies, change of plans. My forces have them under control. In fact, 
Most of them will be dead before you get there. The job I have for you is much more explosive. More NCA terrorists plan to infiltrate Site Y and detonate a small nuke. I have an informant with them, and a friendly cameraman is with him. Get there, kill them all, disarm the nuke, and look good doing it in front of the camera. The colonel visibly confused asks, We can't intercept them before they get there? You have your orders, soldier, the general barks right before ending the call. The colonel looks around at the other cyborgs that make up Patriot Squad. Does this make sense to any of you? He's met with shrugs and annoyed glares. The colonel feels uneasy. He's never been a fan of putting lives at risk for shock and awe effect. But he's a soldier, and soldiers always follow orders. Back on the Chinook, Reggie looks on as two of the commandos discuss the intricate details of the EMP's operation. Just be careful when we set it down. This thing has an anti-tampering feature that sets the bomb off if any of these wires get disconnected, one says to the other. That sounds like an unnecessary liability, Reggie thinks to himself. He chuckles thinking, after all this, I still think like a lawyer. His musing is cut short. The pilot yells out to everyone, Where above the LZ? Lock and load. The large helicopter hovers over the reflecting pool for a few moments. Then, the water parted and two large hangar doors opened outward. The craft lands next to two small MH6 helicopters in the cramped compound. Two FEMA guards, armed with assault rifles, run out of the doors located at the facility's entrance. They yelled, You can't park something that big here! Scott opens the vehicle's back door and fills the two guards with bullets from his submachine gun. Wow, these new guns are great! He howls excitedly. Reggie and the other commandos jump out of the helicopter each with one hand carrying the heavy EMP and the other hand on their P90 SMG. The cameraman from the barn also jumps out of the chopper. Why is the camera guy here? Reggie asks the commando next to him. To document us kicking ass, the man responds. Scott leads the team through the doors on the hangar's far side. From there, they make their way through the labyrinth, killing everyone they come across from guards to computer engineers. Finally, they get to the large arena-sized room that houses the evil mainframe. Scott kicks the doors in, and behold, there was no mainframe to be found. There waiting for them instead is Patriot Squad. The commandos set the ENP down and open fire on the cyborgs. Reggie takes cover behind the doorway, sporadically peeking out and opening fire. He calls out for Scott. However, he's nowhere to be found. The cyborg's heavy armor leaves them unharmed from the dozens of bullets hitting them. The cyborgs equip their custom machine guns with attached 100-round drum magazines. They quickly return fire and obliterate the rebel commandos. With Scott missing and the others dead, only Reggie and the cameraman remain. Suddenly, Reggie hears the colonel call out, Now, son, come out and we'll make it quick. Reggie instantly recognizes the voice. It's the bastard that had Monet killed. Filled with rage, Reggie steps out of cover to file at the colonel, but he is met by Scott, who grabs the gun and smacks Reggie with the stalk. Reggie falls on the ground as the cameraman steps in the room with his video camera rolling. What the hell are you doing? Reggie screams. Nothing personal, Scott chuckles, just making sure I'm on the right side of history. The colonel recognizes Reggie from the day his FEMA camp was destroyed. Move out of the way, the colonel demands. This one is mine. 
Scott rebukes the colonel, saying, I'm afraid not, colonel. West wants someone to put on trial. This incites the colonel's rage. Move aside or I'll shoot him through you. While the two are arguing, Reggie reaches for one of the dead commando's guns. His fingers touch the gun's grip, but before he can fully grab it, one of the cyborgs grabs his hand and kicks the gun away. The cyborg uses his metal hand to crush Reggie's hand bone into eggshells. Reggie screams out in anguish. Scott turns back and looks at Reggie. He smirks and continues his dialogue with the colonel. It's all right, colonel. West wanted a martyr anyways. Just then, all of the members of Patriot Squad descended on the colonel. Using their superhuman strength, they beat his cyborg body until he was nothing but a bloody hunk of flesh and metal. Next, Scott turns to the cameraman. Sorry, pal, but we can't have loose ends, he says before using his P90 to spray the man's brain all over the floor. Error, error, error. The colonel's cybernetic part brain keeps flashing him alongside low power and system failure warnings. He can barely see now. However, with what little sight he has left, he can see Scott zip-tying Reggie's hands behind his back. The colonel's gun is right in front of him. He reaches for it and is met with another warning, low power alert. He uses all the strength he has left to grab the weapon. Now knowing he will only have time for one shot before the other cyborgs finish the job of killing him, he has to make a tough choice. Kill Reggie, the man who slipped through his fingers and helped destroy his career, or kill Scott, the bastard who General West used to betray him. Meanwhile, Scott binds Reggie's hands together. Reggie screams out in pain due to his right hand being mangled. Oh, sorry, Scott laughs before squeezing harder. Just then, the colonel makes his move and fires off a single shot that hits Scott in the forehead, instantly killing him. The colonel laughs and coughs up blood before the other cyborgs come back to rip him apart. With all the chaos going on and the cyborgs distracted, Reggie takes advantage and runs back to the EMP. He opens the control panel, but can't make out how to fire the thing off. The cyborgs finish ripping the colonel apart and focus their attention back on Reggie. Realizing what he is trying to do, they rush after him. Reggie begins to panic, but remembers the anti-tampering feature on the device. He quickly grabs a handful of cords and pulls them out, setting the MP bomb off. The shockwave knocks Reggie on his back. The facility's lights flicker off and the cyborg soldiers fall down dead. Several hours later, the facility is swarming with soldiers. Back in the room where the EMP was set off, General West and several of his advisors assess the damage. Sir, it's a good thing you had the mainframe moved, one of his yes-men states. But the prototype cyborgs are all toast. This is going to set our R&D team back a while, the man adds. The general laughs. Once we're done spinning the story, we won't need either. The headlines will read, Soviet-backed rebel commandos set off EMP in nation's capital. Even the cyborgs fell trying to stop it. That will keep everyone in line. Although, it would have been nice to have someone to put on trial. One of the yes-men speak up. Don't worry, sir. We will find this Reggie. He couldn't have gone far. 32 years later. In a corporate megacity on the east coast of the former United States, Thousands of citizens are huddled in a massive baseball stadium. Hundreds of public peace soldiers guard the facility's exits. Reverends from the state church speak, and they say prayers for the gathered masses before the main event. Then, on the stadium's gigantic screen, 
a government spokeswoman gives a speech via video call. Today, we celebrate the founding of the Holy American Republic. On this day, 25 years ago, our great general led the formation of this great redeemed nation. Two teenagers, one male, the other female, stand together in the back. They look at one another as the woman continues to speak in the background. You want to get out of here? The girl says to the boy. I'd love to stop listening to this shit, but the soldiers have this place locked down. The girl smiles. I know a way. The two teens disappeared from the crowd and headed to the restroom. Here, the girl says, pointing to the restroom's window. The two opened the window and climbed through to the street. There. That wasn't so bad, was it? But just then, a soldier called out. Stop right there. The terrified teens turn around to find half-dozen soldiers with assault rifles trained on them. Take me, but let her go, the boy shouts as the soldiers draw nearer. This was all my idea, he continues to plea. When the soldiers finally reach them, one used the stock of his gun to hit the boy in his stomach, causing him to fall on his knees. You know the rules. Patriotic events are mandatory. The soldier obviously in charge, who had told them to halt, said. He then brushed the girl's brunette hair back behind her ear. On the other hand, maybe we can work something out. He adds with a grin. Don't touch her. The boy screams out before getting hit with the gun stock again, this time on the right side of his head. The blow leaves him bloody and delirious. The soldier goes back to touching the teen girl. Then, out of nowhere, a green light beam shot out of the dark alley. The soldier holding the teen girl turns around to see what's going on. The beam hits him in the head, causing it to explode like a watermelon getting hit by a sledgehammer. The blood and brain matter splatters on the girl and she screams as the remaining soldiers prepare to open fire on the alley. The soldiers were so distracted they didn't even notice the black-cloaked assassin sneaking up behind them. The assassins wore plain white masquerade masks over their faces. They were armed with silenced machine guns and black serrated combat knives. Their numbers doubled that of the soldiers. They pair up on every soldier. One grabs the soldier, the other slashes the unsuspecting foe's neck. It all happened so fast the boy could barely comprehend what was happening. After murdering the soldiers, the masked assassins help the teens back to their feet. And then, a man walks out of the dark alley. The teens gasp as they instantly recognize the man, Reggie, the battle-hardened leader of Freedom's Fist. Dozens more masked assassins appear out of random places on the street. Reggie approaches the teens. Are you okay? He asks. The teens nod. Reggie hands them a wad of NAU currency. Get as far away from here as you can, he says before sending the grateful teens on their way. Then, he uses two fingers to point towards the baseball stadium, giving the order to move in. As his masked comrades advance, he looks down at his fist and softly utters, For you, Monet. End of Rex 84so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. Let me know with an email at timelessscienceficcion@gmail.com at gmail.com 
And you can follow for future story updates at my Instagram at BellaAnima. This has been a presentation of AHD. We dedicated this story to Justin and Marshmallow. Rest in peace. I'm your host, Bella Anima, reminding you to stay timeless. Mm-hmm.